give instruction and nourishment. I'd planned on giving instruction, but did not know the preliminaries would be as long. So I'm going to have to uh, make up my mind right fast as to whether I want to go into the instruction part or into the Word of the Lord that I wanted to teach. But uh, we do say that this is uh, nourishment time uh, at the end, and uh, you, you know, you never want to be late for supper, do you? Praise God. <clears throat> you never want to be late for supper. And uh, so please, every time we have this moment of fellowship, whenever I, I call you back, let's hurry and get back. I know that you're excited about talking and, and such. You know, we, uh, we'll let you go here in an hour, and I know that some of you will stand around and talk for another hour. Praise God. But uh, then you're on your own then, see. So you can just do it. Uh, talk all night if you want to. Go over to somebody's house and stay all night. Praise God. <laughs> Do you love the Lord? Isn't God good? Praise God. Praise God. Well, I'll tell you what we'll do. Speaking of supper time, let's turn to Luke 14. <clears throat> we'll just read the parable of the Great Supper, and we'll start out there. How about that? That'll give us a little direction. There are just so many needs that we have in the house of the Lord. And this is the reason why we try to take the Thursday evening service to, to talk about uh, everything that we feel that needs to be talked about. Purely an instructional type service. And we are just so grateful for what God is doing. Brother O'Neill started some time ago talking to you about search for truth. And I went into the uh, office prior to service, and it looks like we're teaching about 32 Search for Truth classes now, Brother O'Neill. Now, some of those are finishing up. I saw one or two of them were finished already, and I did not count those. Down in Des Moines this past week, I did find out at the Evangelism Council... Last year's survey was run. Another one was run this week. And if our church does what the average church does, that is in teaching search for truth, and if we have the productivity that the average church has, if we were to teach 50 lessons at one time and continue to teach it, now, the average church doesn't do that, but I'm talking about productivity. But if we taught 50 lessons continually, and we've had more than 50 going at some times, isn't that right, Brother O'Neill? Then we would have one family per week coming into the church. That is, if we average what the other churches are averaging as far as productivity is concerned. Now, I don't know, but I have a feeling that we are subpar. Wouldn't you think so? I think we are. Brother O'Neill was feeling this way some time ago and talked to me about it. And uh, this is when we started talking about soul winning. So what I'd like to do is just give you instruction. I'd plan on doing this earlier and then talking uh, evangelistically here tonight a little while 
But let's get into this part. So we'll read Luke 14. Then said he unto them, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servants at supper time to say to them that they were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground. I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. And I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. Now this gets down to our particular day now. Verse 23, And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you, that none of those men which men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Now, the part that I want to talk about is verse 23. Compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. We're not just talking about a, a church house. But we're talking about the kingdom of God reaching its apex. Now... If we are indeed somewhat below par as far as productivity is concerned in teaching search for truth, and we are, then those who are teaching naturally want to be more productive. Nobody enjoys doing something Without results. One of the biggest complaints that housewives have is my work is never finished. Because by the time you get the dinner dishes washed and put in the cupboard, it's then time to retire. And the first thing they face in the morning, dirty dishes again after breakfast. It's an ongoing thing. Uh, we all want to be as productive as we possibly can. So I want to talk to you about presenting God's Word and give you some things that I feel uh, at least have been somewhat helpful to me. We talked about the Gospel. We talked about how it relates to to holiness and such. Uh, We talked about the correct attitude and so forth. I'm just going to to give you something that I feel uh, will be helpful to us. Now, one thing that I notice is that many people, when they present the truth, they present it in a very negative way. 
in a very negative way. Now, I'm going to be calling upon you tonight to help me. So, perhaps at this time, somebody could give me an explanation of what presenting the gospel in a negative way would be like. Brother Felix Crowder. Now, Brother Felix, has, Brother Felix has commented well on this. I don't know if you can hear in the very back. Brother Andy, could you and Brother Tinker hear what he was saying back there? All right. Brother Andy can. Brother Tinker can't. Brother Tinker's a little closer. He doesn't hear as well. <laughs> uh, I have written down something here that, uh, that I think presenting the gospel in a negative way I would be is when you present it, in other words, you just automatically assume that the hearer is opposed to the truth. Now, you see, that's not altogether true because most of the people that you talk to don't even know what the truth is. Brother Felix brought that out very beautifully in this interview tonight. These are the last days. Well, I didn't know that. I mean, who said they were? And what happens sometimes, we put ourselves on the defense. We just assume that the hearer is opposed to the truth. Now, basically, what people do when they present the gospel in a negative way, they build an image in their own mind And they set out to attack it. Now, I don't know if you've ever done that or not. You know, uh, somebody walk up to you while you're witnessing someone, look at you and say, what are you talking about? You know, automatically you, you assume that the man is opposed to what you're saying. So you get on the defense. See? And you begin to attack an image That's created by circumstances in your own mind. Now, we have given quite a few uh, lessons. And in these lessons, we have brought out uh, relationships between people. uh, And how that some people just build up things and conjure up things in their mind. And then, of course, one example we've used is that a young man, when he sees a young lady, quite often he can, so to speak, fall in love with her. The truth of the matter is, until the proper relationship has been built and time has lapsed in that relationship, You are basically in love with the image that you have 
in your own mind relative to what she is or who she is. So to fall in love, first sight, I'm just fell in love with her, is impossible. And this is a reason why that a courtship is quite important. It's very, very important. Why? Because you fall in love with what you think she is. You have an image in your mind. And I can just assure you that there is no one human being walking upon the face of this earth that you can meet and automatically know what kind of person they are. See? And what happens is that when we present the truth sometimes, we present it in a negative way, we just assume that people are just against us. We build up an image in our own mind and we begin to attack it. Now, a lot of people who carry the truth, they assume the whole world is against us. And the truth of the matter is, the world has not yet heard what we preach and teach. You see, the Bible says, when the gospel of the kingdom is preached into all the world, then shall the end come. Did you know there are a lot of hungry hearts? Did you know that there are so many, many, many people that would listen to you? This past week, I was eating my breakfast and the waitress came over, a middle-aged woman, and uh, I was just feeling real good that morning. So I said, how are you this morning? She said, well, not so good. And I told her, I said, well, I just feel great. She said, well, that's good to see somebody that's feeling good. So I just asked her, I said, what is uh, the problem? She said, well, I was up all night last night. She said, my brother called me. And my brother's wife of 25 years is leaving him. And she said, the truth of the matter is, she said, I counseled with him on the phone almost all night long. She said, he is a wreck. And I don't know what to say. And I don't know how to help. And I don't really, because she said, I understand his grief. Because my husband of 37 years left me. And she said, I know what he's experienced. But you know what happened? Tears came to her eyes. It gave me a chance to talk to her about God's availability in a time of need. That he's always there. He always cares. And talk to her about the Lord. Now, you see, you could have just, I could have just brushed it off by saying, well, you know, it seems like everybody's negative. Nobody has a good day and, and just, uh, uh, you know, looked at the situation. But now here's a hungry heart. I have found that all around us are hungry people. And what happens to us, sometimes we just, we just uh, believe that, that most people oppose what we're saying. Most people oppose what we're saying. Now, a lot of us say, well, uh, this is supposed to show 
that uh, we are true defenders of the truth. You know, by, by covering all the negative things. But now I found this, that a lot of these things that, that we consider that uh, they are against, if they were presented in a very positive way, perhaps even leaving the negative out altogether, that most people wouldn't even know there was an issue over the particular subject that you're talking about. Isn't that right? Now, please understand, Brother O'Neill spoke last Sunday night to us about the Trinitarian doctrine and the oneness. And a message like that is definitely in place. Please understand that. And there are times in which you must point out the difference between that which is false and that which is real. But I'm basically talking about every time you present the gospel, you, you, you just, you're negative about it. Very negative about it. Now, there's a law in salesmanship that says you cannot get a positive response from a negative base. Now, I use the term negative base. That is, if your presentation is negative, you're not going to get a positive response. Now, Brother O'Neill used to sell Electrolux vacuum cleaners. I found out one thing. He really believes that Electrolux is the best vacuum cleaner in the world, despite the fact that it isn't. (laughs) But he really believes that. He told me this. He said, he had his Electrolux, and he said, come over here, Brother Grant, and jump on this. He said, this is made out of 26-gauge steel. And he said, "Uh, we demonstrate this by jumping on it. Now, I happen to know that 26-gauge steel, because I worked with steel for many, many years, is not much thicker than this. It sounds real tough, but it isn't. And I happen to know that a tube 12 inches in diameter with 200 and none of your business pounds placed on top of it, (laughs) jumping up and down would actually bend that. Now, he doesn't think that it will. He begged me to get on top of it, but I know that I can stomp his vacuum cleaner flat. (laughs) I know how thick 26-gauge steel is. And I know that that Electrolux will not stand up under my weight. Now, you notice how positive he is. This is the reason why he was a good salesman. (laughs) Now, I was doing that intentionally. Now, I do know how thick 26-gauge steel is. I don't really know how much strength is involved when it's rolled and embossed and such. But now, I was doing that for for a reason. Brother O'Neill was quite a successful vacuum cleaner salesman. But now, can you feature him going up and saying, now, knocking on a door and and he said, I'm George O'Neill. Uh, I sell Electrolux vacuum cleaners. Uh, uh, you know, Electrolux is, uh, it's, they're pretty expensive and they do do a good job, but you, you wouldn't want one, would you? <laughs> I, I'm just sure you wouldn't want one. Now, you think about your witnessing. Have you ever put yourself in that kind of particular uh, predicament when you witness to people? 
It's almost like, man, it's going to be a miracle if they come to God. But we do believe in miracles, don't we, you know? I mean, every now and then they do happen, you know? <laughs> Despite the... <laughs> you, you understand what I'm saying? And people actually do this. They, they actually present the gospel in this fashion. Now, one of our pastors one time was about to baptize a lady, and he was just talking to her about baptism, and somebody passed the office door, and uh, the person who passed the office door happened to be a lady who knew the other lady, and so she just stuck her head in the office door and said, A pastor, you did explain to her the difference in Jesus' name, baptism, and Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and you did tell her, we're the only people in town to baptize in Jesus' name, didn't you? Well, see, the pastor didn't tell her that. And the pastor had already convinced her that she was to be baptized. But when the lady left, the candidate for baptism said, Now, what's this about Father, Son, and Holy Ghost? So the pastor was forced to go into the issue from a biblical standpoint. And you know what happened? The lady backed out of being baptized. She refused to be baptized. And as far as I know, has not yet been baptized. And especially over the fact that they said, we're the only people in town that do it. Now, there is no, no reason to bring up something unless you know that it is already a question mark. If it is a question mark in the person's mind, then you should answer it. But if it's not a question mark in their mind, why make it a problem? I'll assure you that somewhere down the road, they'll have to cross that bridge. But at the point in which they are about to give their heart to the Lord, why make it a big question? And you see, when you're teaching hungry people, I'm talking about hungry people, if you will take and show them in the Scripture... And point out in the scripture what they need to do to be saved. And leave all the negative stuff alone. You'll find out that a lot of people will just go right along with it. And they'll be baptized in the, the right way. And they will accept the truth with, without all the, the problems that's, that uh, could interfere Especially if you plant those seeds of doubt in their mind. And I really think that one of the greatest problems and one of the greatest hindrances that people have in presenting the gospel, teaching home Bible studies or anything, they automatically assume that their candidate is in direct opposition to the truth. Now, I happen to know that I have baptized many, 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 many people in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that did not even know that all the world was wrong. And they didn't really know that we baptized in Jesus' name despite the fact that their old line traditional churches baptized otherwise. 
I simply opened the Bible. I went to Acts 2.38. I went into the Scripture. I went to Acts 8. I went to Acts 10. I went to Acts 19. Nobody in the Scripture was ever baptized any other way but in Jesus' name and baptized them that way. And they accepted it. They loved it. They believed in it. And there's no point in bringing up an issue in a person's mind when they are solving those issues as they go along. You see, they have to fight against sin. They have to fight against the forces of hell. There is a devil that presses them concerning their life of sin. And if you're teaching somebody that's not involved at all in, in any church anywhere, you'd be better off, you'd actually be better off just to go ahead and, and just present the gospel very positively and pray for them and, and get them saved and, and then school them in what they will be confronted when they, when they face traditional uh, Christians today. Now, I've also found this out. And listen to me very carefully. You are in error to believe that all people that attend Trinitarian churches are Trinity in their heart. There are a lot of them that don't have the vaguest idea what the Trinitarian doctrine is all about. There are a whole lot of them that when you explain it, the one God fact and then the Trinitarian theory, they automatically agree with you. They said, oh, that my preacher preaches that way and that's the way I believe it. Just like you've said. Well, now you know he doesn't preach it that way. He probably doesn't preach it at all. See? You know, and he may, he may end his prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But simply because they've never heard him say persons. See? Then uh, uh, they just don't, they don't associate God as being... A Trinity. I really believe that that most people who don't have any concept of God, that when you talk about Jesus Christ, that is satisfactory to them. You found that out. Now you run against a lot of people who do know what the Trinitarian theory is all about, and they believe in it, and they'll argue it to the hilt, and you can do anything you want to do, but they're set in their ways, and they don't want to change. And there is a reason why that we publish the name of Jesus. The reason why we're publishing the name of Jesus is not because that we want to bring up a big issue in religion today. It's simply because that His name preached in a very positive way will get positive results. But you cannot get positive results building a negative base. And we're not doing what we're doing here there is none other name but the name of Jesus. We're going to publish His name. We're going to let the city know that we wear His name. We're not doing this to make issues with all the churches in this city. That's not the purpose in doing it. It's just that we believe that there is no name that will save but the name of Jesus Christ. And we believe that there are hungry hearts that, that once they hear about Jesus Christ and the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ... That they will come and give their heart to the Lord. Now please, just because that we're publishing the name of Jesus, don't set out in your mind to create an issue with people in which there is no issue in their mind to start with. Paul spoke of this. He said to preach Christ 
for any other reason than for the sake of the gospel will bring about uh, a, a decline in productivity. Now he said, if you preach Christ for contention's sake, that's better than not preaching him at all. But he said, it's just not right to be preaching Christ for contention's sake. In other words, just to go and get into a big fat argument with somebody just to prove your point is not profitable. Now he did say, however, that's better than not speaking about Jesus at all. See, God can even take some very negative things and build on them in time. And people need to hear about Jesus. But we don't want to get in a habit of just preaching Christ for contention's sake. That does not mean that our preachers and our teachers in this church will not stand behind this pulpit and point out the difference between the Trinity and such. We do have a lot of traditional type Christians that come to church, people who are not at all hungry for God in any other way other than what they have, and you've got to stress the difference to those people. This is the reason why that Paul went into the religious places, and, and, and he argued. Now, when I say argue, I'm not talking about fussing. I'm talking about a, 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 a real godly-type debate. He reasoned according to the Scriptures. See? He reasoned according to the Scripture. But I'm talking about most of the people that you teach home Bible studies to and most of the people that you witness to are hungry people that have a nest full of problems at home and abroad and, and wherever they work and, 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 and there's sin that's gripping them and they're being torn apart with, uh, with uh, mental conditions and such. And, and we need to, for the sake of those people that are having a real battle with sin and such, which is the big issue, we need to simply teach and preach that Jesus Christ is the deliverer and they need to associate him, themselves with his gospel. But I personally believe that, that one problem that, that the people have is, is the fact that they, they know that we are oneness. They know that the oneness doctrine is opposed by hardline Trinitarians. And so as a result, they automatically assume that everybody that attends a Trinitarian church believes in it. I would, I would be safe, I think, in saying that, that 75% of the people who attend the Trinitarian churches don't have the vaguest idea as to what they really preach or teach. You know the reason why? They go in and sit down. They don't have lively services like this. You know, they're, they're concerned about a 45-minute service. And if it gets to be 50 minutes, that's too long for me. I'm serious with you. You know? And they go to sleep. And they just sit there and they nod and they get out and they light up their camels and and, and such, and, 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 and then stop by at the local pub someplace, and, and then they go home. And, uh, and you know the reason why they go to church? Because they've been taught that they ought to go to church, but they're not getting anything out of it. And, 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 
And if their preacher got up and talked to them about the Trinitarian doctrine, how important it is, they probably wouldn't even get the drift of what he was trying to stress. Now, true, there are some that do. But a lot of them don't. And, and I feel sorry for these people that go to these dead, dull, boring churches, don't you? And that's all there is, just sleeping through it. Can you believe that? I heard of a preacher <clears throat> that uh, they went to sleep and he dreamed he was preaching. While he was asleep, he dreamed he was preaching. He kept preaching, he kept preaching. He woke up and found out he was. Now the gospel, the gospel is the good news. <clears throat> Praise God. The gospel is the, is the good news. Now the reason why it's good news, because it is indeed just that to people. Well, there are a lot of people that do oppose. It is not right just to assume that they oppose until you find out that they oppose. And then it is time for you to go in to a legal, and when I say legal, I'm talking about scriptural documentation of what is right as opposed to the truth. Praise God. But the gospel is a good news. I personally believe a simple explanation of the gospel usually works. Now, we're going to get you involved right now. A simple explanation of the gospel usually works. Now, I'm just going to show you something that I think works well. Uh, you may have uh, found that maybe a different method works for you. I do not like to go into a lot of ways of witnessing. Now, you're going to find out one thing that I used to structure things to the point that I go through all the, here's how you introduce yourself, here's how you talk, and you know, that doesn't work because there are too many different personalities, see? And we're not trying to sell a particular product, we're trying to sell our God. And God wants to use you as you are. So a simple explanation of the gospel usually works. In other words, if you're teaching search for truth to someone and you're in lesson number two or lesson number one and you see that that person is hungry for God and after you have showed to them the signs of the times and such, let's say you're, you're in your, your lesson that deals with Noah and the flood, less, the end of lesson number one, uh, uh, the best thing to do is, if that person wants to pray, is talk to them about Jesus Christ, that He is the only Savior. Very simple approach. Now, the reason why that some people can't do that is because they have learned too many scriptures that deal with controversy. They haven't really learned scriptures that deal with positive thinking. Now, I do appreciate the, the charts. Uh, there's a couple of things I would like to point out to you. I think in the, the, the search for truth chart, there are some negative things in that chart. Now, I'm just going to point out what I think is a little bit negative. One is, in the New Testament, were all people baptized in Jesus' name? Question mark. 
Well, you know, the best way to say that really is in the New Testament, all people were baptized in Jesus' name. Another place is when they received the Holy Ghost, did all speak with tongues? Question mark. Why be that negative? See? What you're doing, you're even to a hungry heart that doesn't know one thing about Jesus, you're creating negativeness in that person's mind. Now, you won't find that in exploring God's Word. Now, Search for Truth has been very, very, very successful. And basically, it's not a negative chart. And we did make the statement, you cannot expect positive results from a negative base. Basically, Search for Truth is very, very positive. But I think there are a couple of pages that that are a little negative. And I think that's just a matter of, of terminology. But I think the way that it's written is very, very important. You know, if you approach people negatively about something, I'm I'm going back to what I was on, but I just feel if you approach approach people negatively about something, their automatic response is, "Do I have to?" If you appoint, if you approach them positively about something, their response is, "You mean I get to?" See. See, we found this out in our Christian school, and I was talking to Sister Rutherford about this one day, and, and uh, you know, she said, we used to do it this way, see. The rule was that if you act up in school, I mean, if you're really, 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 really naughty, you know what, you have to go in and, and clean up the kitchen. But now, you see, and, and, and what happens is, you know, if, if you're really naughty, you say, you know, you got to go clean up the kitchen. You mean I got to? Now... Because we don't want to not want to associate work with negativeness. Uh, now is if you're real nice, you get to clean up the kitchen. You know what they do? They try to see who can be the nicest so they can see who gets to clean up the kitchen. <clears throat> and you may say, well, that's that's basically psychology. Well, it may be psychology, but it works. And, and you see, this is the way our minds are programmed. If a negative thought is implanted in our minds, then what happens? We begin to look for negative things relative to what we're doing. See? However, if everything's positive, we just feel real good about it. Isn't that right? You may be driving a car... That is the best car you've ever driven. And maybe you've driven it for 75, 80,000 miles and you never had any problem. But you let four or five people come around and tell you they've had problems that same kind of car and you become unhappy with your car. And if you were to trade, you wouldn't get one like that. When we all know that everybody has had, not everybody, but but somebody in this world has had trouble with every kind of car. This is the reason why junkyards are full of them. See? They're mechanical. They all wear out. They all tear up. You have problems with all of them. All right. Now, a simple explanation. Christ is the only Savior. Now, can somebody tell me a scripture in the Bible that deals with this? 
Okay, Brother John Seidel. All right, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, Brother Mike. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Okay, Brother Chuck. John one twenty nine. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Sister Lynn. All right. His name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. All right. All right. And so Jesus is the door to the sheepfold. If a man climbeth up any other way, he's the same as a thief and a robber. Now see, there's so many good positive scriptures in the Bible. If you're dealing with a hungry heart, you need to point out to them that Jesus is that true way. He is the only Savior. He is the Redeemer of the world. In other words, don't take people in, around the backside of the barn... And down through the cow lot and over the next hill and everything to come in your front door. See? The approach to the front door is very simple. It's a shortcut. And it's very profitable. And I think that this is so very necessary. All right? And let people know that that we actually have a relationship with Jesus Christ by faith. We know Jesus Christ by faith. Praise God. Now could somebody tell me a scripture about this? Okay. Brother Brian. All right. Hebrews 11, 6. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now this is a walk by faith, see. And uh, we've got to come to him by faith. This is the way that we come to Him. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of the Lord. We, we accept Jesus Christ by faith. We accept Him by faith. There is no other way. Okay, somebody else, feed me some more scriptures. I'm giving you some time to think. Brother O'Neill. Any man should boast. All right, by grace are you saved by faith. This is the gift of God. All right. It cometh not by works, lest any man should boast. Praise God. Okay, Brother John Seidel. All right. He gave power to those that would believe on him, and they have become the sons of God. Now, what I want you to do, I want you to take A, B, and C, and D that we're going to cover, and I want you to learn some scriptures that are very positive relative to Jesus. Now, we're going we're gonna to get to something here that I feel that very, very fruitful. This is an approach that I've used personally. I've known other people that use. I have really never known of a real soul winner that was negative with their approach. Okay? All right. And, and learn some scriptures. We know Jesus by faith. We actually know Him by faith. Now... I really believe that the scripture is correct when it says, in order to be saved, that we must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. See? When uh, the Philippian jailer saw the condition of Paul and Silas, that they were free, 
he sought to kill himself. And he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? When Paul said, don't kill yourself. In other words, don't do yourself any harm. Paul said, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou shalt be saved. Was he right? Sure he was right. Paul would not have said that if that wasn't right. See? Now, what happens sometimes, we believe in receiving the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with tongues to the point that we kind of rule out some scriptures of the Bible. Listen, we believe in the whole Bible. And don't be afraid to use the terminology of the Bible. See, don't be afraid to use the terminology of the Bible. Don't be afraid to. In Acts 11 chapter, the Bible tells us concerning Cornelius and his household, the Bible actually tells us that when Peter reminisced the story to the brethren at Jerusalem, he said, Who was I to withstand God that these have received the light gift as well as we who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? In other words, he acknowledged that they manifested a basic fundamental belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. When the Bible says, the just shall live by faith, faith is our access to God. And we believe that. Now we do not accept beliefism that you are saved when you believe. Or that your own personal belief. Not by works lest any man should boast. The Holy Ghost, the gift of God, is salvation. God is salvation. But that is granted to us by faith. Now our faith does demonstrate our obedience to the gospel. Therefore, identifying with Jesus Christ. Our faith demonstrates our obedience to the gospel. Uh, James covers this in, in his book. Show me your faith without your works. I show you my works by my faith. In other words, faith causes you to do certain things. Now this is, this is not a traditional approach that's used in other churches. Please understand. But it's just eliminating negativeness, things that would cause hang-ups in people's mind that are not really there unless you plant them there. Now, I, I want to stress it again. I do believe that you ought to deal with controversial things if controversial things enter into question. But don't you be the one that brings them into question. Don't be the one that brings them into question. I went down to the Upper Room Coffee House several years ago and taught a Bible study on what it means to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I went through this whole Bible study with a group of people from Middleton Baptist Church and then, of course, there was a Church of Christ minister there. And it would have been so great if he had not have been there. Because the girls 
Basically, it was a group of girls that walked in there. They heard about my Bible study. But the girls that were there, they were agreeing. Well, there's not a, you know, you, you approach the Lord the same way we approach the Lord. We're very positive uh, in our approach toward God. Of course, I did not eliminate the Holy Ghost. We're going to be talking about that in just a few moments. The only thing is that you're, you're saying that you need the Holy Ghost to be saved. We believe we have the Holy Ghost, but that it's manifested differently in us than what it is in you. But, of course, the Church of Christ minister said, well, the big problem is he believes in oneness and we believe in Trinity and such. And, and, and did you know from that point on, because he brought it up, I couldn't even talk with those girls. But our faith demonstrates our obedience to the gospel, therefore identifying with Jesus Christ. Now, our salvation is confirmed by physical references. Let me say this. You are not saved by speaking in tongues. I say you're not saved by speaking in tongues. And that is something that's very, very, very Important that you understand, you're not saved by speaking in tongues. You see, when God sent the flood, He destroyed the world by water, and afterwards, He gave Noah and all the world a sign of confirmation that a flood would never come again. Now, I did not see the flood. And when all doubt in this world has been erased that there ever was a flood, I can still look up and see the rainbow. And it is a visible, physical reference that I can relate to. God has confirmed to me and to the world that there was a flood and there never will be a flood because there's a rainbow in the sky. Now this is not just a principle that God used one or two times. Friend, it has been used throughout the whole Bible. He said, I want Gideon to take only 300 men so that so that Israel will know that it was not human ability nor power that did it. The calling out of the 22,000 that went back. And the 300 became a visible reference that God was the God of Israel. When Israel marched through the Jordan River, When they went into the river bed, the Bible tells us that the Lord spoke to Joshua and said, Pick up twelve stones, and I want you to put them on the other side. Friend, a long time after those waters came and washed all their footprints away, those children came up to their fathers and said, Why the stones? It was a physical, visible reference that there was a river that parted and that God was a miraculous God indeed. Now, God does not do that for His sake. He does it for man's sake. 
simply because that we are physical and we are earthly and we are prone to be insensitive to God and not to know God the way we need to know God. And God gives mankind visible, physical references. And when God does things, He confirms that by physical references. Now, this is also true in our salvation. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Ghost came, they began to speak with other tongues. The other tongues is a physical reference that confirms our salvation. It's not our salvation. Speaking in tongues is not salvation. Speaking in tongues is not the Holy Ghost. If you notice in Mark 16... The Bible says, and these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. Now the speaking with new tongues is a physical reference that confirms that you have believed indeed. And that salvation has actually come to you. God is a non-seeing God. No man has seen God at any time. And when salvation comes, God gives us that physical reference, something that we can refer back to, something that we can cling to in a physical way. When the Holy Ghost was promised by the new birth, what did John say? He said this, He said, the wind bloweth where it listeth. Now, this was actually Jesus writing, but it was John. It was Jesus talking, but John writing. He said, the wind bloweth where it listeth. Thou hearest the sound thereof. In other words, the wind was the spirit that was going to breathe upon men. But what did he say? He said, you will hear. I will give you a physical reference to confirm That the Spirit has actually blown upon you and has actually baptized you. That you have been born of the Spirit. Isn't that the reason why that Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and when he spoke of the Holy Ghost and and everything, he he spoke of that which you now see and hear. And what he was doing, he said, God has given to all of you nations... To all of you people of different countries, God has given you a physical reference to confirm His Spirit. That which you now see and that which you now hear. This was true in Acts the 8th chapter at Samaria when the Holy Ghost was poured out. When the Holy Ghost was poured out, When John and Peter had laid their hands upon the Samaritans, they received the Holy Ghost. The Bible does not say they spoke with tongues. However, Simon saw that through the laying of the hands, the Holy Ghost was given. God confirmed His work with a physical reference to His people. And so they began to Hear them speak with tongues. They saw them speaking. 
And Simon knew that these people had indeed received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. How did Peter know that Cornelius and his household had received the Holy Ghost? The Bible says that they received the light gift as well as we, for we heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. You see, the speaking in tongues is not the Holy Ghost. It is the physical, it is the visible reference that God has done His work in us. And I personally think that one of the, the most simple forms of presenting the gospel is that Jesus Christ is the only Savior. And you've got to believe that He's the only Savior. And you've got to believe that Jesus Christ died upon the cross for your sins. It was impossible, according to Hebrews 9, 27, that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. But Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. That Jesus Christ actually, He actually died with you. Praise God. You see, you were dead in your sins. You died with Him and He died with you. Now, Brother Felix says that, that uh, uh, you know, that uh, it happened a long time ago. It may have happened a long time ago, but you see, the gospel is a story that's alive right now. People tell me that the gospel's not real. I say, yes, it's real. Listen, Jesus died 2,000 years ago. That may be true, but I actually died with him. I died with him. Praise God. And not only did I die with him, but I also went to the tomb with him. I was buried with him. Praise God. Our faith is demonstrated by obedience to his word. And so, the gospel being the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died, He was buried, and I arose, or He arose. I can die. I can be buried. I can rise the newness of life with Him. And God gives us the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now in the scripture, God gave them physical references to confirm their salvation. That was speaking with other tongues. And that same reference is used today by God because God's dispensation since the day of Pentecost has not closed nor changed. And so people speak with tongues today as the Spirit gives the utterance. Speaking in tongues is not the Holy Ghost. It is the physical reference. It's the sign that falls. It's something that you and I can relate to because it's physical. Praise God. The Holy Ghost that comes into our hearts and into our lives is a spirit. But I am physical. And God has given to mankind a physical reference. Now, I've talked with many, many people that never heard about speaking in tongues. That just simply received the Holy Ghost just that easy. Now, last evening, I preached in Racine. We had one of the greatest evangelistic services that I've been in a long time. When I finished preaching, of course, I'm not uh, boasting in myself. It was the Lord. But the whole altar was filled up. There was a, a black boy that came and knelt down just about right here. 
And uh, so he had never been to church before and didn't know anything about the Holy Ghost. And uh, just a simple explanation. Jesus died for your sins. And uh, he wants to forgive you. All you have to do is just ask him to forgive you. And he will. And uh, he also wants to fill you with the Spirit. And uh, in the Scripture, uh, when they were filled with the Spirit, uh, they began to speak with other tongues. you know what happened? I would say not more than two minutes. You're talking about somebody coming unglued and speaking in tongues. That boy spoke in tongues for at least 30 or 40 minutes. Praise God. Praise God. I observed very carefully how Brother, uh, his name has slipped my mind now, approached him about baptism. He went up to him and just said, you know, uh, in the scripture they were all baptized in Jesus' name. And uh, you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. Well, now he didn't ask that boy what he believed relative to baptism. That boy was hungry. He was filled. And now he's obedient. He just goes and gets right in the tank and they baptize him. And he just splashes water every place and talks in tongues for a long time later. <coughs> now in all probability you could have gotten a fight out of him if you'd have started asking him a lot of questions. But you see, the thing about teaching, your teaching builds up faith in people. And when you present the gospel very positively, you're building up faith in that direction. You're building up faith in that direction. I don't know, I just personally believe that when you get to the point about Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, baptism and the Trinity and all this, that uh, you need to just uh, make reference to it and move on. If they make an issue of it, then stop and explain it. Now, I've explained the Trinitarian formula of baptism to many, many people. Now, I can truthfully say that everybody I've explained it to has not believed it. But I have had very few people to ever come back with an argument. Very few. Very, very few. And all I have done is simply say, well, it is true that Jesus said in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. However, the Great Commission is found in the book of Luke, the 24th chapter, and also Mark, the 16th chapter. Now, Mark did not say how to be baptized. He just said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Then, when Luke spoke of baptism, he said that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name beginning at Jerusalem. Now, the best thing for us to do is go to Jerusalem and find out just how they did it. Because Jesus told them to go into Jerusalem and tarry until they be endued with power from on high. He said, Behold, I will send the promise of my Father upon you. And so we go to Jerusalem. I've simply gone to Jerusalem and I've explained that they were baptized there in the name of Jesus. 
And throughout the New Testament, book of Acts, it was always in the name of Jesus. Now, it seems very strange to me that the apostles would have baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and that uh, they were in direct disobedience to Jesus himself. Even to uh, uh, some people who uh, believe in the priesthood and such and accept the, the, uh, the Pope as the hierarchy of the church, I've even pointed out to some of them now, uh, your church teaches that, that Peter was the first Pope, but now the first Pope, if he was Peter, uh, baptized this way. See? And uh, so uh, if the Catholic Church indeed did start with Peter, then somewhere they really switched doctrines because uh, he was a real Jesus name baptizer. See? And we need to, we need to follow the Scripture. Because all Scripture is given under inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. See? So we make a doctrine out of this. And uh, I simply say that uh, he was actually in, in, in fulfillment uh, of that when he baptized in Jesus' name. Of course, uh, Father's not a name. It's a descriptive title. It's not a personal name. It's a descriptive title. Son is not a personal name. It's a descriptive title. And Holy Ghost is not a personal name. It's a descriptive title. And uh, when Jesus instructed them to be baptized, if he did indeed say in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, I feel very sure that these men did it right. Peter had the keys to the kingdom in his hand. Jesus gave it to him. In fact, the holy city of New Jerusalem rests upon a foundation bearing his name. He must be saved. See, so uh, when he baptized those 3,000 in Jesus' name, he was fulfilling that commandment. How was he fulfilling it? Because name being singular, of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, prepositional phrases modifying name, not names, but name, we have to look for the name. The name was Jesus. Now, if you baptize him using this as a formula, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, and you put Him under the water and you bring Him up, and you haven't called the name of the Father, and you haven't called the name of the Son, you haven't called the name of the Holy Ghost, you haven't really baptized Him in the name of the Father, and in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Ghost. Now, you may have said you did, but you didn't, because you never called His name. But when you baptize Him in Jesus' name, you have baptized Him in the name of the Father and of the Holy Ghost. And of the Son. Now you can't switch those titles. They, can't, they cannot be switched. And the reason why they can't be switched is because the Bible specifically states that there's salvation in none other name. See? It's in the name. It's in the name. The name has to be called in baptism. And if the name of the Father is not called in baptism, the name of the Son's not called in baptism, the name of the Holy Ghost is not called in baptism, regardless of what kind of a formula you're using, it is not valid. So the best thing to do is to look for the examples of baptism and do it the way people did it that you know were saved. See? Now, I have not received argument from even hardline Trinitarians about that. 
The reason why? Because they can't answer it, see. See, why did Peter do it? See. But a simple explanation. Now, you may, you may have taught search for truth for a long, long time, but all I am simply doing is saying that if you've been teaching it and you've been very productive, that's great. But you see, when Jesus spoke of fruit, he spoke of fruit, he spoke of more fruit, and he spoke of much fruit. And I believe that we need greater productivity. I believe that we can attract people with the truth if it's, if it's presented right. You see, when the Bible says, and I'll finish with this, and the Lord said unto the servant, Go into the highways and hedges and compel. Now, most people think that compel simply means yank them out. Drive them down. See? No. God has given us the fruit of the Spirit. And what we are, we are good news to them. It simply means that we present it in such a way that it's attractive to them. They want it. You see, doesn't it seem strange to you that the Bible says, No man cometh unto me, Jesus said, except my Father draweth him? Doesn't it seem strange to you that while the Holy Spirit's drawing people that you and I have to literally get out and hog time and pull them down to the altar? No. That wasn't what he's saying. He was saying, be positive with it. Because people have given you excuse after excuse, don't accept it. You go out and tell them there's a good supper waiting. You go out and tell them there's room for you too. You go out and tell them, just because others haven't come doesn't mean that there's not an empty plate someplace. God wants to fill it up. And He will fill it up. And He's got a, an abundant supper waiting for you. Praise God. You ought to come to our church. Man, the Holy Ghost is powerful. Praise God. We've got some of the best singers and the best choir. And praise God, the friendliest people. Oh, when we greet our guests and everything, the preacher has to call order three or four times. <clears throat> I'll tell you, we just love each other and praise God. It's just, it's, it's just great. Praise God. There's a big supper waiting for you. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. That choir singing and praise God. And people just praising the Lord and and worshiping God just like they did in the Bible, oh, it's great. Praise God. It's great. I'll tell you, we do it just like they did it in the Bible. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Be positive with it. Make it sound good. You know why I want you to make it sound good? Because it is. Praise God. Hallelujah. You know why we need to be positive about what we're preaching? Because it is indeed what people need. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. It doesn't even hurt for you to tell them that you've got the best preacher in town. Now, if you don't believe that, you ought to go where you think the best one is. But you come here because you think the best preacher in town is here. 
Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. And you know why I stick with you? Because I think you're the best saints in town. Praise Praise God. God. Praise God. And you know what? This is a great time. It's a great time of fellowship and a great supper that the Lord has for us. Praise God. But oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. There is a heavenly home that awaits. And Jesus Christ wants to take all of your fears and troubles away because He cares for you. Praise God. And He does not want you to live in agony here and in eternity also. But you see, Jesus Christ promises you not only eternal life, but He also promises abundant life. Abundant life while you're here and then eternal life. Praise God. Praise This old business of, of hanging your lip down and saying, well, you just, uh, you know, you come on and be a Christian, you'll suffer with us. You know, that kind of, listen, pray. I've been on the other side of the tracks. I know my Bible says the way that transgresses a hard way. But I know that Jesus said, come unto me all of you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon me and learn of me. He said, my yoke is extremely difficult and painful and hard and you won't like it. So help me you won't. And the load you have to pull is unbearable. But somehow if you grit your teeth and you've got enough backbone and guts, you can do it. (laughs) Sounds exciting, doesn't it? I wonder what he said. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Man, I just love living for Jesus. Praise God. (laughs) Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Well, glory, 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 glory. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God. Glory, 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 glory. Let's stand to our feet right now. Let's lift our hands. Let's love the Lord. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Jesus is great. Jesus is wonderful. Jesus is our all in all. Oh, hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, even when you teach lessons on holiness and such, watch how you present this. Some people, they, they present it in, in a very pharisaical way. You know, that, well, you know, after God gets a hold of him, you clean your life up, you know, and you, you get, to, get to thinking about how you are. And, and what happens is, you see, Phariseeism centers around self. You see, Jesus was so concerned about the Pharisees because they were so spiffed up, but their heart was full of hypocrisy. Praise God. And a good way to present holiness, and you will find this is, uh, this is the most productive way, uh, is to present it in such a way that uh, uh, people understand it. Now, how do they understand it? Like Just like I talked about uh, speaking in tongues. That uh, our ladies uh, do indeed have a, a good godly dress and lifestyle. Uh, you don't have to say they do it because God demands that of people. No. 
the holy God that is in our heart has given to the world a physical and visible reference again. Praise God. Our ladies do have long hair. Why? Because uh, they're holy inside. The God of heaven is inside. Praise God. And uh, this is a sign of their fidelity to him. Praise God. Our men dress uh, in such a fashion that, that they are transparent so that people can see the Lord and not themselves. Praise God. This is why the Bible says we should adorn ourselves with modest apparel. You know, Ladies, they, they wear dresses and such. Somebody says, well, you know, the Lord looks upon the heart. Man looks upon the outward appearance. Yeah, that's right. And that's why we do this. You see, it's true that man, man uh, looks differently than God. God looks upon the heart. But see, man looks upon the legs. And so uh, the ladies dress holy because they want to become transparent so that people don't look at them as sex symbols and such. Praise God. Why? Because God's holy. Praise God. If you ever get the idea that you do it because that you're holy, praise God. Holiness is becoming transparent. It's not done for show. It's not meant to be paraded before men. That's not it at all. It's to make yourself transparent so that people can see your God, not yourself. Praise God. Don't you want people to see the Lord in you? Oh, hallelujah. It's such a, it's such a joy to serve God. Oh, hallelujah. Let's lift our hands and serve the Lord again. Worship the Lord. Praise God. But you know, we want to be very careful to explain to the world we got good singers because we got a good God. Praise God. We got a good church because we got a good God. We got a good choir because we got a good God. We've got uh, good preachers because we have a good God. We've got friendly people because we have a good God. Praise God. You know, sometimes you can you can reverse it, see. We've got a good church because we have good preachers. We've got a good church because we have a good choir. We've got a good church because we have friendly people. No, we have friendly people because we have a good God. Praise God. God's at the center of all of it. Praise God. It's all focused upon Him. For all of us are human flesh, subject to error, and prone to make mistakes. But Jesus Christ is the center of our church. Praise God. Hallelujah. 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 
this city would just love Jesus. Praise God. Don't you think so? Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Maria Koshanderella Mohusataya Kandela. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Just turn around to somebody and put your arms around them and tell them how much you love them. Praise God. You brothers to your brothers and your sisters to each other. Let's magnify God in this. Oh, isn't the Lord good? Jesus is so good. Jesus is so good. Jesus is so good. Jesus is so good. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, the Lord is so good. Praise God, praise God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. Jesus is so good. Jesus is so good. Jesus is so wonderful. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you.